Welcome back to my channel. Today we're jumping into 1 Timothy chapter 5. And what we're going to see today in this fifth chapter is Paul continues to address groups of people. And so we've seen him address Timothy specifically. We've seen him address the church in previous chapters. I'd encourage you to check out those videos. We've also seen him continually addressing the false teachers that could be in the church or around the church or both. I think it was probably both. And so with that, we, we see today that, that Paul's going to give some instruction and some teaching regarding the proper care and treatment and um, shepherding of these widows that are within the church, both young and old. And he's also going to give some, some instruction, some teaching, some guidance in how they deal with elders or as we know if you watched our video that's just another word for pastors so he's going to give us teaching on these two things and that's what this whole chapter is about is uh, how to care for them so without further ado jumping in in verse one if you're looking on with me he says don't rebuke an older man but exhort him as a father younger men as brothers older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. And so we see here that Timothy, while he may be in the right, he may be correct, he, he may be theologically uh, more equipped, that doesn't negate him from showing the utmost respect to those older gentlemen in the church that even are in error. He needs to be respectful. He needs to show him honor. It says, don't rebuke him, exhort him, right? Or, in other words, don't don't uh, lash out at them, but rather encourage them. Okay, so he's, he's challenging Timothy to have the right approach, right? Oftentimes, it's not uncommon for us in our own families or a pastor of a church or a leader at a church. We, we can uh, have the right answer or the right um, truth, and we can go about it in an unloving or an unkind way. And that defeats the whole purpose of what we're trying to do. So don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Encourage him like a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Uh, he, he does give a clear call to Timothy to watch out for sexual impurity or impropriety. Uh, to be careful with his uh, the fellow women in his church that are his age and uh, younger. He needs to be careful to treat them with purity. Um, we know that in our day and age, there's the big Catholic scandal. Uh, if you've seen that movie Spotlight, it really did a good job with that. Uh, of a horrible, horrible, tragic thing that was going on in the Catholic church for a long, long time. As well, we know in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Church, there was a scandal that there's an article written that uh, posted some really terrible, terrible things that have been going on there and maybe some scenes of cover-up that, that are going on. And so this is a predominantly important passage uh, for that. And both pastors and congregants, uh, people that go to church, we need to be aware of this. We need to be expecting this of ourselves. And also we need to be expecting this of our pastors. And when we see something getting out of line or something questionable, 
or the Lord burdens our heart concerning a certain situation or relationship, we need to call that out and we need to deal with that so that we can avoid these egregious sins and problems. But with that being said, um, we see this familial tone. Uh, that's why we said in, uh, in uh, previous videos that the church is, it truly is, and I see it over and over again in this text, um, the church is led by a man who is leading their family and from leading that family well, they, they then provide for themselves a reputation and a uh, background, a uh, resume for then being able to lead a larger family, the larger church. And so this is such an important uh, view, a way of looking at the church. It's not a business. It's not a business. I'm going to say that again. It's not a business. I hear that all the time. It makes me sick. The church is not a business. It's just like a bigger family. Um, it, it could be called many things, uh, and business wisdom is important, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a family. He says in verse 3, support widows who are genuinely in need. So one of the problems that is going on that we're going to see clearly in this text is that uh, there's widows that are receiving support that, that shouldn't be uh, for various reasons. And so he wants to only give the church's money to the church people, namely the widows, uh, that need it, that need the extra boost. boost. And so uh, what I want us to look at really quick is uh, just a Greek word study. I want you to see something here in the text. So if we study this word support, we look up the Greek root. We can see some other other ways of translating to honor, to pay honor to, to hold in honor, right? Notice that pay honor to um, in the Greek lexicon, um, it's uh, the honor of a king, the value of something to hold, um, you know, to prize. And I think that's significant because what we see in, in this text later on in the honoring of pastors, the double honor that's called for those lead elders, uh, we see the same thing uh, to honor, to value, to price, to pay. And I just wanted to point that out because it's a very similar sentiment. When we see honor here, uh, this could also be translated honor, by the way, um, but they translated it support so that we get the picture. Uh, when we think of honor, we usually don't think of payment in our day and age, but uh, that's what he's talking about here. So support or honor, honor widows who are genuinely in need. Only give a, a little bit of a stipend or, or a, a, a selection of a certain amount of money uh, to those widows that are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. This reminds me of a passage we see in Mark chapter 7, verse 7 through, excuse me, verse 8 through 13. I want us to turn there really quick. This is something Jesus confronts the Pharisees about, and it is so timely. It's such an important passage. Um, sure, it's probably not one that anyone's memorized, but for me, it holds a, a special place in my heart. Um, he was confronting the Pharisees uh, of, of a practice that they had. I'm just going to read it and we'll talk about it real briefly. 
He says, abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition, right? That was the great, in one sentence, if we could summarize the problem of the Pharisees, there it is. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. But anyways, he also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is korban, right? And that is an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many other similar things. So one of the great problems of the Pharisees, we won't get too deep into that text, but one of the great problems is that God had given them explicit commands, like we see in the Ten Commandments, to honor, right, and, and, and cherish and take care of your father and mother. And from that, they had then taken a tradition that we see here, that they were twisting this to remove people from the care of their parents, um, and then to give their lives to the church, their money to the church in neglect of their parents. And from that, they are, are abandoning the, the more important command. And so what we see here in First uh, Timothy chapter 5 is this, uh, this same sentiment to, uh, if we read again in verse 4, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. So we see this, this value of, of children um, repaying their parents. We, we do this namely in old age, right? As our parents get older, they, uh, this relationship that once was we were children and our parents were the adults, they, they were the parents that guided us and led us. If you live long enough, and your parents do as well, you transition into a different role where as an adult, eventually, um, in many people's lives, their parents get older to the point where then they need care, and you become not their parent, but a parent in the sense that you're helping to take care of them um, in a way that they are losing the ability to do in old age. Uh, because of of death and disease and so uh, this is an important passage and so Paul is pointing Timothy to look at the widows and to see do they have a family um, that can take care of them because if they do that Christian family needs to take care of the widow that's that's more important they're not helpless right as he's going to say here in in chapter uh, verse five, chapter five, that uh, the widow who is truly in need, right? Verse five, and left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. Right. So he's contrasting. There's there's a type of a widow that's in genuine need, and there's a type of widow that's not in genuine need, and so. The widow who is in genuine need is one who has no one. They have no family. They have no uh, children. They have no spouse, especially in their day and age. This is a, a tragic position to be in, and, and they could be left helpless if there's not things that have been set up before them 
uh, by either their father or their husband in their life. And so this could put them in a very vulnerable position, one that uh, very few women in uh, North America know in comparison to this. And so this is in contrast to a woman who maybe her husband dies and she is a widow uh, technically, but she has a Christian family that loves them uh, and cares for them and they can take on some of that responsibility and free up the church. That's what's right. A family comes before church. Uh, that is the biblical teaching all throughout. And so the family is, is, it's the family's job to take care of the family member before it is the church's job to take care of that family member. So uh, we see that comparing and contrasting. So in the case of a, a widow that has a family, the family is to take that on and to care for them. That's a Christian duty. Right. And we see that upheld by Jesus, as we just looked at in Mark. And we also see that um, this is something Paul is upholding. And it's just the God's created order of how things are to be. Now, in contrast, we see that there's another widow who is truly in need and left all alone. It, she, it, it uh, puts this really into perspective, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. Right. This is a godly woman. This is a faithful woman, but also a woman in desperate need for help. And so uh, this is the type of woman that the limited resource of the church needs to be giving to help them. Um, I know in my pastoral experience, I've met very much so a, a chapter five, verse five woman, and they need genuine help and they genuinely don't have anybody and they've faithfully served in the church for for many years, as we'll see in these later verses. And so this is the kind of person the church needs to go out of their way to support. And um, especially in cases where the family cannot help or something uh, is going on in that sense. But with that being said, he says, however, in verse six, we see a semicolon, right? A sentence split. However, she who is self-indulgent, right? Or indulging in self, is dead even while she lives, right? So he contrasts this woman who's spending a lot of time in prayer serving the Lord with another type of a widow who is self-indulgent. They're using this church money to spend it on themselves, not for needs, for wants. They're using it for, for stuff that they don't have to have the money the church is giving them, so they need to stop giving them money says she's dead even while she lives. It's a mark of that, that lack of respect for the church's money, that lack of respect for Christian living. Uh, she's dead in the sense she's spiritually dead, right? She's dead even though she lives and she goes to church and even though she is, um, you know, a part of this community, uh, her actions show that she's not one with Christ. Her actions show that she's far from Christ. And so they don't need to give their money that kind of a woman. They need to love her. They need to preach the gospel to her. But they don't need to give her their, their limited resources. There's a better use of, of their money. And so he says in verse 7, command this also so that they will be above reproach. Right? So he tells Timothy, pass this along to the church and command it of them that this is how money is to be spent concerning widows. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, this is a very famous verse, especially for his own household, 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So immediate and close family care and provision, it's foundational to the faith. Um, To be a Christian is to care for your family. To be a Christian is to uh, care for your own household to the best of your ability. Now, things come up. Circumstances can be so different, so unique. But if it's in your power and if, if God... Um, so allows you right in, in your circumstances, you need to be doing everything you can within your power and ability to be providing for yourself and your family and then those around you. And so someone who proclaims Christ, but but's not even willing to take care of their, their family, um, he says is, is has denied the faith, right? So a clear departure from from Orthodox faithful Christianity and is worse than an unbeliever. So Paul is saying this kind of behavior of, of utter neglect of family, um, this kind of behavior is a mark of someone who is showing by their behavior, maybe not by their proclamation, but by their behavior and their actions, they're, they're truly not a Christian. They're truly not born again. They're truly not um, indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's why there's such this strong rebuke of someone who's neglecting their family. Um, they've denied the faith. They're worse than an unbeliever. Um, this is because it, it is uh, not just a Christian thing to care for your family. It's a worldwide uh, human thing to care for your family. This is, this is fundamental to human life. And so if uh, someone is proclaiming Christ, which should be the epitome of moral goodness um, uh, as far as actions and lifestyle. And they're, they're not even doing the basic human thing of caring for their own household and family. Uh, it is a clear departure from the faith and a clear neglect and needs to be confronted and uh, dealt with. He goes on to say in verse 9, no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support Okay, so he's going to give some qualifications. He says, unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband. So we're going to see here in uh, verse 9 uh, through 10, we're going to see the criteria for uh, widow support. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you there, there's got to be at least 60. There's got to be a background of marital or marriage fidelity or faithfulness. So was she a, a faithful wife? Um, was she an adulterous wife? What, what kind of a woman has she been? Uh, also, uh, ministry reputation. We're going to see this. And we see this fivefold. I'm going to call the fivefold good works criteria for a, a supported widow. So what we're going to see here in this text, Paul is very particular, very particular for how the church uh, qualifies a genuinely needy widow who is in need of the church's support. Just as Paul is very particular for who should be a pastor and these very specific, long-listed qualifications for a pastor, we see uh, one less qualification and specificity, uh, that's a, a tongue twister, for deacons. And we also see this specific laying out of qualifications for widows. And so um, we're going to look at this five-fold good works criteria, and we're going to look at uh, what what is criteria for widow support? Okay, uh, and we've already seen kind of a basic overview contrast of a a genuinely needy widow versus an empty 
uh, non-qualified widow to be receiving financial support from the church. So in uh, verse 7, command this also so they will be above reproach. If anyone does not provide, we just talked about that. Verse 9, no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. Okay? She has a reputation of Christian ministry in her life. Um, she has genuine needs. She's older. She can't work um, maybe in any kind of way or is losing that ability. Um, or also she is um, also have have uh, led has led this Christian life that is worthy of good reputation amongst the community. Um, is well known for good works. That is, and he clarifies these good works. What good works is she to be well known for? That is... If she has brought up her children, she's brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. These are the uh, five good works criteria uh, in the that is a subset of these three things that Paul says, right? So uh, there's three things that Paul says needs to be in this widow's life. And that third thing, Flip you the uh, ring finger bird. Uh, the third thing that he talks about here is that uh, those five things in this one thing that is to have characterized that. So let's unpack these, these five things. He says uh, she needs to be well known for good works. Verse 10, she has brought up children. Okay, so let's clarify this. This could be her own children or this could be children of uh, people within the church. So maybe someone didn't have children, but they spent their life pouring out uh, into the lives of other believers in the church, right? So just because maybe uh, something that like along the lines of a woman couldn't bear children, this doesn't disqualify them. This doesn't uh, take away that ability for them to receive support if they become in need at some point in their life, uh, but rather it's a, it's a pattern of life. So brought up children, shown hospitality this is hospitality is when you're welcoming a welcoming person you welcome people into your home you welcome people into the church you're very hospitable you're generous with yourself with your uh, household and with your church so brought up children shown hospitality washed the saints feet so uh, also this is one we're gonna have to clarify put some context of course, we know in Jesus' time, sandals were in and uh, the ground was dusty and dirty. So a common thing was that uh, someone of low stature would wash feet uh, when, when uh, someone came in from a long journey. We see Jesus take this position of foot washing and he does this for his disciples. Uh, we won't get into that, but it's absurd because... The King of Kings of the Lord of Lords is taking the lowest of low position to wash the feet of human beings. But I'm not going to get into that. But, but what we see is that um, Jesus takes this deep position of humility and servitude and service as God, which is a big deal. Um, and he commands us to do it likewise. So for us, we may not see washing feet in our day and age, but what we should see 
is that these are widows or women. If we're looking in our own churches in the year 2020 and beyond, uh, we're looking for women who there's nothing that's above them. They're, they're willing to pick up something that maybe others would scoff at. They're willing to clean. They're willing to do whatever is necessary. Um, and there's nothing below them because they're not arrogant. They're humble. And so that's how we could translate um, and apply that specific section of washing the saints' feet. In their day and age, he probably literally meant, has she, does she wash saints' feet? Like when Christians come into the house or the church, right? Do they, does she immediately take that position of servitude and she's the first one to say, hey, can I, let me wash your feet, right? Is she that kind of a humble, spirited woman? Um, but in our day and age, uh, while that practice isn't as common for us as uh, Americans in 2020, what is common is for a woman to take a place of servitude and, and not have anything that's above her, uh, not or excuse me, below her, to not have anything that she's not willing to stoop down to do in service for fellow Christians. All right, so I think we covered that exhaustively. Um, next, we see in uh, verse 10, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, right? Number four, uh, this could point to helping the poor. This could point to helping those who are in challenging positions in the church. Sometimes someone in church may show up with a, a challenging life position and a brother or sister in Christ can come alongside them and try to help them out and, and walk with them through that trial they're facing. Um, and this is a mark of a mature Christian. You know a mature Christian where they're seeking out someone in pain and struggle and they're trying to shepherd them through that. So that's number four, uh, help the afflicted. Number five, the last and final criteria of good works, uh, devoted herself to every good work. This is just kind of like an all-encompassing statement. Like she has just been busy with God's work. She's been busy with doing what is good, what is right, what is ministry in the Christian church and the Christian family. So as if, if, if you haven't seen it yet, I'll make it clear. Paul is very particular, very particular, very particular about who gets support. He's very particular about many things in the church. Um, this isn't something that should be up in the air at your church. This isn't something that should be willy-nilly. Willy-nilly. If I can use that word, um, it's not something that should be half-heartedly thought out. It's something that we should be very particular in how we do things because God has created with a particular order and structure in the church. And we likewise should follow in that and be particular and wise uh, and cunning in how we deal with each and every circumstance that we may face in our churches that may be uh, overlapping here. Or maybe we have some unique things that we're facing in our churches that we also need to handle with tact and wisdom. So um, that's that's that fivefold criteria we see uh, in those uh, just few short verses. All these clarifiers, all these qualifiers, if they're in all these positions, they don't have a family that can help come alongside them, then they should be receiving support from the church. He says in verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows. He says, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, 
They want to marry and will therefore, verse 12, receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. And I I don't want to get too far into this. Uh, Verse 12, I think personally, is probably a vow of chastity that was taken, a vow of singleness um, or of Christian faithfulness um, and equal yoking. Uh, There there is a a couple different positions here. Uh, One position is that uh, these younger women were marrying unbelievers, and so they're renouncing uh, Christ in that way. They're drawn away by desire. Um, Another view is that they made an oath or a pledge of singleness, and uh, they decided, hey, this singleness thing isn't for me. It's not so fun. I'd actually rather get married. And they are breaking the oath. I think it's the latter. Um, but Paul does have some strong words here for this uh, circumstance and, and situation. And I think why, I mean, so he's clear. It's just blunt. He's like, don't don't support young widows. Um, and he says, when they're drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry And I want to look at verse 12. He says, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. So that's what leads me to the second view. I don't think it's that they're necessarily, uh, while it is possible, but I don't think necessarily what was happening is that they were marrying unbelievers and they were ceasing to be Christians. I think what was happening is that uh, they were, giving an oath of vow before the church, before God, which is a very serious thing. It's a very big deal. And they were, they were taking this oath. And then in a, a few months or a few years down the road, they were then renouncing this oath and pledge. And it, it's as a Jesus teaching on this is very clear. Um, taking an oath before God is a very big deal and we shouldn't do it lightly. There's uh, provisions in the Old Testament to get out of an oath uh, that is uh, a rash oath. And Jesus tells us in his time here on earth that it's better to not take an oath at all um, for certain things that we're unsure of or or we don't know that we can follow through with. So to me, the way I'm going to interpret it out of those two uh, positions, according to the end of verse 12, they have renounced their original pledge. It seems that these women, these younger widows, had taken oaths of chastity, oaths of singleness, oaths of uh, continually serving the church as a single woman. And I think we have reason for that in Corinthians and, and other places. And in doing this, they, they were not cons- counting the cost of were they really willing to do that. And so they were then going back on their original pledge and, and thus breaking a promise before God which is a big deal. And as Paul says, he says, therefore will receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. So this is a tricky, tricky verse, quite frankly. So what I don't think is going on is that, right, they receive condemnation in the sense that, you know, God is like, get out of my face. Uh, not that God is, is no longer going to forgive them. Uh, we know that. I think this is pointing to, as we dealt with in the last chapter, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, again, I think this is speaking towards the judgment seat of Christ. There is something that is going on in which they have taken an oath that is a, a noble thing that they didn't have to take an oath to do, 
But in breaking that oath, there is a taking away of rewards there uh, to a certain extent. I don't think God's punishing them because they broke an oath. Uh, rather, I think uh, God is just, um, there's still sin that's going on here because they're breaking oaths. And so um, God is, is not going to honor what he once would have honored them with because of this breaking of the oath. Okay. So if, if that's clear as mud, uh, we're on the same page. Um, so tricky passage, but uh, verse 14, with all that being said, therefore, I want younger women to marry, right? So the reason he says so bluntly in verse 11, look, I don't want young women to uh, be widows, don't support them. Um, he says, I want younger women to marry. Um, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. So let me let me make a clarifying statement here. There is a gift of celibacy or singleness, lifelong singleness, or, or a long time period of singleness, this gift of celibacy. That's talked elsewhere in the Bible. Paul speaks of this. But what we can infer here is that He's talking about widows. So these are not women who have never married. These are women who have spent a majority of time or some amount of time as uh, married women. So this seems to be uh, and leans towards not being women who are given the gift of celibacy. And while we do have women in the scriptures and in history who have been married and then served as widows in the church the rest of their lives, Paul's not not discounting this or disqualifying a woman from choosing to do this, but it's not going to be the norm. It's, it shouldn't be expected. It should be treated with an extreme amount of caution. It should be treated with a, a very soberness and someone should really be, be careful before they enter into that kind of an oath with God. So he says, uh, therefore, I want younger women to marry. He doesn't want them to be supported widows. He wants them to find uh, a new man's, as they say. He wants them to have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. I think this is very, 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 very helpful in interpreting 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, the verse in that chapter where Paul says, women will be saved through childbearing. And we're all like, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? I think, uh, or at least I am, I know I am. Um, maybe you understand completely. I don't know. But for me, I think this verse, what he was talking about in, in chapter two is very much clarified with this verse in chapter 14, where he says, um, I want younger women to marry, to have children, to manage their households. Um, I think this is what he means by childbearing, right? Having children, yes, managing their households and, um, and um, giving the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. He wants younger women to be busy with disciple making. He wants younger women to be busy with uh, doing something productive with their life. So being young and single and blowing money from the church is no way helping the cause of Christ, right? So that's why he gives such stipulation. If you're a young woman, you're breaking your oaths, you're, you're abandoning oaths, uh, you are 
are abusing the church's money that they are giving to you freely and uh, you are being busybodies, you are uh, out gossiping, which is uh, what, what he's going to go on to uh, say. Um, yeah, that's, that's not good. good um, that's not a mark of a Christian. No woman is going to be saved with that kind of a lifestyle. Uh, that's not a mark of Holy Spirit regeneration. That's not a mark of someone who the Holy Spirit is just so filled. That's a mark of someone who's far from God. And so with that being said, um, he, he wants women to be busy with the work of God. So um, he says, well, therefore receive condemnation because they've renounced their original pledge. Verse 13, um, this is a description as I was just speaking to, I know this passage well, but I did skip a verse. Um, this is what these younger women that were receiving money were busy with. And these aren't good things. They're learning to be idle. Uh, translation, they're learning to be lazy. Okay, this isn't good because the church is paying them to be lazy. They're going from house to house. And that's not a bad thing. But he says they're not only idle, but they're also gossips and busybodies. So they're going from house to house. And what are they doing? Well, they're being busybodies going from house to house. They are stirring up trouble. They're, they're causing a headache for Timothy and uh, they're saying things they shouldn't say. So they're using their, their um, church support to live a lifestyle of laziness, of gossiping within the church, which is only causing more problems for the church and Timothy, and they're supporting it financially, right? So uh, for me, I see why Paul says, look, this is a clear-cut issue. Stop giving them money. They need to be doing something else with their life. And as we discussed in uh, verse 14, he says, therefore, I want younger women to marry, to have children, manage their households, give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. Uh, verse 15, he says, for some have already turned away to follow Satan. Um, that's uh, plain as day, right? Um, if there are women who are living this outrageous, uh, sin-filled lifestyle, and there's no conviction, there's no repentance, or turning away from that sin, uh, it's just a clear following of, of Satan. Um, it's a clear uh, rejection of God and Christ, and it's a clear um, self-centeredness, selfishness, uh, who is uh, someone who is imitating Satan and being selfish and self-centered. And he says um, in verse 16, if any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help win widows in genuine need. I think this is really helpful. We discussed earlier uh, the role that, that parents play um, in raising up their children and that if old age comes and sometimes and many times uh, those very children who then become parents also have to take on a, a household care for a caretaker role for their own parents. Um, and so that's what he's speaking to. If a believing woman has widows in her family, right? So Christian women need to be looking to their immediate household, uh, their parents and the immediate family and need to be seeing if, if there's other widows that Christian women, we need uh, Christian women to be willing to take people into our home. Um, that's, that's the mark of a Christian. 
Um, and, and the abandoning of this is, is the mark of a, an unbeliever. Paul says worse than an unbeliever. Um, that's just what he says. So he says, let them help them. The reason why I love this, he says, let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. And uh, if you've ever been in a church, I know I've been in situations where we as a church are trying to help not only our people, but also the community around us. And it's very important we put stipulations in place for how that money gets spent because it's not just a, we're not just passing out free money. Um, that, that's not the goal of the church. Um, that's not at all what God calls us to. Um, sometimes maybe you as a listener, or sometimes there's people out there that think the church's job is just to support everyone no matter what. And that is contrary completely to the scripture as we've studied here today. Paul is very particular about the church, the church's money, and how the church's money is spent. And who is that person that's in genuine need? Um, so let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Love that verse. That is the ending verse on widows. This is very important. If uh, you have served in a church or have been a part of a church that has elderly and has these types of people there, uh, they're really cherished and really important, vital to the church and the kingdom. And um, these are people, women that need to be taken care of. But we also need to be very careful in that, uh, just as with everything in the church, we need to be particular about how things are done uh, so that there's uh, no room for abuse of this generosity, right? Because churches need to be very generous, but we also need to be very wise, as Jesus would teach us, as uh, harmless as uh, doves and as wise as serpents. That is the uh, battle cry of Jesus for the, the way of the Christian Thank you.